Kim Source Direct is a single source supplier. In business since 2007, they have over 80,000 products for customers just like you. Located in the heart of North Carolina, they supply cleaning products all throughout the Southeast. Whether you're a commercial business, office, or municipal building, looking for wholesale cleaning products, chemicals, cleaning equipment, or service, they've got you covered. Please reach out and start saving money today. Stop by their store open to the public and save. Kim Source Direct, 1207 South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the website at kimsourcedirect.com. Father Tom is undefeated. It's going to hit Tom Brady eventually, too. It might be this year. Hopefully it's this year. And Matt LaFleur went to both of them and said, hey, remember that play you drew up on notebook paper on Thursday? Yeah, run it now. Like, that's the thing that's kind of tripping me up here. We've been clowning Kyrie Irving and his behavior for the past five years. I feel like I just got a point, like on a show or something. (laughs) (laughs) Three, two, one. Kersville, you've got state champions coming back home. The East Forsyth Eagles have just won Class 4A state championship. On the line with NASCAR superstar Bubba Wallace. Bubba, what type of music are you listening to right now? Do you listen to anything particular to get you hyped before a race? Um, I'm in like the heavy metal stuff, like the screamo stuff, stuff you can't understand. <laughs> that's, that's right up my alley. Tie game at 41. Murt takes the snap. Fade right corner of the end zone for Timmons. He oh bobbled it and then honed it in in the right corner of the end zone. Terrell Timmons Jr. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. Charlotte out of timeout. Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to the score. Here's your host, Brett Watson. For the first time ever, you're seeing our faces. If you're watching on YouTube and Facebook, if you're listening, you're used to it. Welcome to another Friday edition of The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. A whole cast of characters joining us later on in the program, but uh, since he's got some important business matters to attend to, uh, Duke beat writer Steve Wiseman joining us uh, this afternoon. Steve, you just broke a story about 30 minutes ago. Uh, we know Coach K missed the game uh, against Wake Forest Tuesday night. Uh, following the loss to Miami, we'll kind of get a retrospective after that. But first of all, what's his status for this coming Saturday? Yeah, it's good to be with you here on a, on a beautiful Friday. We get ready for another weekend of ACC basketball. But uh, yeah, everything is pointing toward Coach K being back on the sidelines for Duke tomorrow against State at two o'clock. Um, he's been back in the building, you know, uh, at work on Thursday and Friday. Uh, so yeah, it looks like it was just a one game thing to to get over this this virus, which is non-COVID virus is, we don't do still have those apparently. Right. Uh, It was kind of keeping him down. Yeah. So that's good news for everybody. That it is. And we talked about this Miami team last week that came into Cameron and, and pulled out a W and 
how they hadn't really played a true road game yet. They didn't look like they were any there was any fear in those guys. And of course, you know, Jim Laranega got him prepared, but didn't look like they were in fear in any way, shape, or form. Not at all. I mean, they're a they're a veteran team and, and they played like it. They played like they'd been in buildings before, you know. Um Cameron McGusty and Charlie Moore are both sixth year, you know, the extra year because of COVID, uh, uh seniors. And that that makes a big difference. And and uh and then you know, Isaiah Wong uh, is a sophomore, but he played a lot last year. So um, he's been, you know, he's been in ACC games, although not in full arenas. But anyway, they played with poise and purpose, and uh, they take care of the ball amazingly well. Uh, they play pretty good defense. Um, so they're 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 a pretty tough team. I mean, I had not I'd seen him a little bit on television, obviously, and seeing him in person. You know, you just I mean, those are as Coach K would say, those are men out there playing. You know, McGusty and Moore are older guys, you know, they're only in college basketball because of this rule. Right. So, right. Otherwise they'd be out and uh, it makes a big difference. I mean, and, and Sam Wardenberg is a senior also who handles the ball lies, a pretty good passing big man. So yeah, they, they impressed me with what they did. Yeah. And you said it guys like McGusty that are out there and, and uh, some of the younger guys on that roster um, that might not have wanted to play, that Miami might have wanted the red shirt last year, that gained valuable experience playing in empty arenas. Um, that does a lot coming into a season like this where you're returning to full arenas. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Charlie Moore has been, you know, he played at Kansas and then he played at DePaul and he's been in lots of places. You know, this is, he's been, he's been around uh, and he's, you know, inner city kid from Chicago. He's tough-minded. I'm sure Coach K appreciated that part, you know, be, having that in common, a couple of inner city guys. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and really uh, what impressed me the most about them was that the way they they protect the ball. They, they're, they're a perimeter-oriented team. They, they don't give away possessions, and um, that makes a difference. You don't have to be perfect in a lot of areas if you're not just, you know, giving – giving the ball away and not getting a shot off. At least you got may get something out of it if you, if you shoot it. Right. So rather than turning it over. And uh, so um, I think they're going to be, you know, uh, an NCAA tournament team. Now I know they end up losing the next game at Florida state by one point on the road, but uh, still they showed out pretty well in that one. And then they have the next two games against Carolina and Florida state, both at home. And so now we get to see, okay, can they bounce back and, and really, really be a force here? Or are they going to, going to wither a little bit, but I don't think they will. I think, with their veteran backcourt, they're gonna they're gonna be in here till the end. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think certainly, especially after what we saw uh, last Saturday night, uh, regardless of the loss to Florida State on the road, a one point loss, which is always a tough place to play, no matter how good or bad Florida State is. We know how uh, that's been a house of horrors for Duke and Carolina both in the past to go down to to Tallahassee. Um, so I, I would put that as an anomaly, but I would definitely put. Miami in that top two or three echelon of, of teams that can compete. Um, as far as what we saw Tuesday night against Wake Forest, another team that was kind of being on the fringe of that top four or five with what Steve Forbes has done, building that team out of the transfer portal. Uh, again, as we said, no Coach K. First of all, what did you see from John Shire in that, um, in his you know unexpected debut as head coach? Yeah, Um you know, he, he did have the one game last year against Boston College when he was the acting head coach because Coach K was in quarantine. But uh, right. there were no fans at Cameron. They, they won. They, they won the game. But totally different situation. Totally different because 
this time he goes into it knowing this is going to be his job in a couple of months. Right. I mean, right. So as the season's over, it's his. And so it has to make a difference for you. You have to have a little different feeling about it. Like, okay, it's a little, little trial run here. Let's see how this goes. Right. And uh, you know, he said he hoped the players wanted to win for him and not lose for him to get rid of him before he even starts. And of course they did. And they played really well. And uh, you know, he ran the team uh, uh, amazingly well, I thought. And uh, you know, they made the lineup change with AJ Griffin. First time they not, they used the same lineup for the first 14 games. And this one, they swapped out Griffin for um, Jeremy Roach to give him a bigger team, um, a little more aggressive on offense. And, uh, and AJ Griffin's really coming on. We talk a lot about him, but, but boy, they, they really look tremendous. And once they got it going against Wake, when they went on that run, that 22 to one run over the end of the first half of the beginning of the second half, I mean, they were just playing at a level that nobody else in this league can touch. And, and really few in the country can touch when they're playing that well. That's how they played against Gonzaga when they beat them. So I was getting ready to say that was that was the Gonzaga level that they played at, especially down the, down the stretch in that game. And as experienced as Wake Forest has in a roster, uh, I don't care how much experience you have. When Duke is playing at that pace and they're controlling the tempo how they want to control it, there's not a whole lot of teams, not just in the ACC, but in the country that can compete with that. Right, because Bancaro and Griffin are both going to be lottery picks now, it looks like. I mean, Bancaro, we knew, was going to be maybe the number one overall pick, right? And and Griffin, because of his injury history, there was a lot of concern about is he going to be able to get to the, the level of play that will earn him in a lottery selection. And it sure looks like it's going to because he's come on a lot lately. He was averaging over the six games coming into this one off the bench, you know, 11.7, 12 points a game. And then he goes off for 22 um, and makes eight of 11 shots from the field. He is their best shooter on the court, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, so, yeah, when you've got two – Two lottery picks like that—that's uh, a that's pretty good to build around, and not too many teams can match that. And uh, and Griffin and Mancaro are now learning to kind of play together and play off one another. And uh, that's as they get even more comfortable, that's going to make Duke even better. As we really get heavy here into conference play, I want to look at the rest of the conference and get your feel on. Okay, we know Duke is is here. They're they're tier one. Miami is 1A or 1B, I guess you could say. Who, outside of Duke and Miami, we talked about Wake, we talked about Florida State, we talked about uh, Virginia maybe trying to slide their way in there. Who behind Duke and Miami do you see as thrusting themselves into the conversation? So I, I'm still going to mention Carolina because I still think they have a talent level, right, uh, uh, to, to, to be able to be in the top four. I still think Duke's a better team, especially when they're playing at their best. Uh, but I like Carolina. And the other team that's come out of nowhere lately is Notre Dame, right? They've won six in a row. Uh, they are four and one in the conference. And, you know, they're another team that, um, that takes care of the ball. I mean, their turnover percentage is, I think, the top 25 in the country, 26 maybe in the country in Ken Palm. Uh, just like Miami's number nine in the country in turnover percentage on offense is, is protecting the ball. And again, that's important, right? You're not giving the ball away. You're, you're, you're being smart with it. And they've got veteran guys, um, you know, Prentice Hub and Dane Goodwin, uh, Paul Atkinson. Those are juniors and seniors. Uh, Trey Wirtz is playing for them after who transferred from Santa Clara. Nate, Nate Lashevsky, 6'10 junior. You know, they've got, um, they've got some veteran players and Mike Bray, you know, knows how to how to keep a team loose and 
uh, not let them get, you know, uh, uh, overwhelmed in situations. And, uh, you know, they, at the start of the year, nobody thought they would be in this position. And even um, early in the season, you know, they lost three games in a row earlier in, in November. Lost lost a conference game at Boston College uh, uh, the first weekend. A, a not good Boston College team. They lost by 16, I think. So right. uh, that is – uh, they've come a long way quickly and that, you know, beating Kentucky at home kind of set them, got them going and they're, they're in a good place now. Well, if there's one surefire way to grow up quickly, it's beat Kentucky period, let alone at home. But um, when you look at, you know, the caliber that a lot of these teams play with, it cannot be lost on us that as we talked about last week with Steve Forbes in terms of, he didn't necessarily get the most talented guys in the portal. He got the guys that fit his system. And when you look at the coaches across the board here, there's not been a whole lot of turnover as far as coaching goes, as opposed to where, where all these rosters stand. You said Mike Bray, you know, Leonard Hamilton, Tony Bennett. Uh, there, there are these coaches that have been in this league for a long time that know how to win. And if one of these teams can get hot and with one of those guys at the helm, who knows what can happen? Yeah. I mean, they know how to navigate this conference and, um, that, you know, I mentioned North Carolina, they're the one with a new coach. How about that? Right. right. <laughs> they don't have the, the experience. Um, uh, I mean, somebody from the system. So, but anyway, he's a Carolina right. guy, but he's still not, you know, Roy Williams or he's Dean not Smith, Roy Williams. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's got to prove he can do it. And, um, and yeah, so that's why I like, I like what Notre Dame's done. I like what Miami's done. Uh, I didn't like him early in the season, like I mentioned, cause they had some losses that were a little befuddling, but but they've seemed to have, have uh, righted themselves both. And, uh, and I think they're going to be good. I, and I, I don't want to leave Wake Forest out of this conversation. I mean, I don't think right. they're a top four team anymore, just based on what I saw the other night, but, but they're, they've come a long way. I mean, that program is on its way back. If not, I mean, they're not all the way back to where they were, but they're getting there. That building was full of energy. I hadn't seen it like that in a long, long time. And I uh, hadn't it was, seen it like that. And I've, you know, how many Wake games I attended as a kid. I, I hadn't seen it like that since, in probably 10, 15 years. Yeah, Skip um, Prosser, right? Back to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Since I can think back to the Gaudio days. The last play, last time I saw it that full, and Steve Forbes brought back the tie-dye nation thing too. The last time I remember being that full was, I think Duke was four and Wake was two in 09. And that was when Al Farouk Aminu inbounded to James Johnson under the basket and John Shire was double-picked. Yeah, and they got the layup. Yeah, that was the last time I'd ever seen that place that full or heard it that loud, especially on the on the Williams dunk there early on. And that's thirteen years, right? So yeah, right. but uh, but boy, I I do like Wake's team. I really think they're gonna they have a chance to make the tournament this year. Um, I I do. I like I like what the team Forbes has put together and his coaching style. Just because they got you know kind of ran off their court uh, in the second half by Duke isn't a isn't a huge knock. That's going to happen to a lot of teams and. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be have a chance to make the tournament. They can get some wins in this league with the players they have. Yep, they've got some of the higher caliber players in this league in terms of the experience uh, and the versatility that Steve Forbes uh, went out and got in de facto college free agency. Uh, what can we expect tomorrow uh, for this Duke club? Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, you're going to see uh, again Griffin and Van Caro working together again, and. Uh, and and Mark Williams too, you know, and some 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 pick and rolls, and he's always free for that on the offense. And uh, uh, you know, NC State comes off a big win, right? They they played really well at at Louisville, and they've not been a consistent team this year. 
but uh, um, Sebron is looking like a first-team all-conference player, and Duke's going to try to force him to take a lot of shots to get his points. That's what they that's what they do to star players. They make them. If you're going to score 20 points, you're going to have to take 24, 25 shots. That kind of thing. That's what they want. That's what they did to Williams uh, the other night at Wake Forest. So um, uh, that's that's what I would expect. I mean, Duke has not lost in Cameron with Coach K on the sidelines to NC State since 1988. The other two times State won over that period, K was out with his back injury and or two back surgeries, actually, 95 and 2017. So um, my money's on on Duke to win because that's just his, his last parting shot to NC State would be another win at Cameron. There'd be no better way for him to go out in, in that portion of the rivalry. <laughs> but uh, they've already defeated Wake, and they'll try to get the Tobacco Road twofer uh, this week. Steve, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Now you got to get out and get to a – get to a presser uh, to prepare for tomorrow, but thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, glad to do it. When we come back, uh, week 18 in the NFL was eventful? If that really sums it up? No, we're going to get to it next. We're going we're gonna to dive deep. The wait is over. Simply Sonia's Southern Cuisine and Cocktails is now open. 3050 University Parkway inside the Best Western Plus Hotel. Open seven days a week starting at 11 a.m. daily. Freshly made Southern cuisine with signature cocktails and lunch specials daily. The location for your next event with Simply Sonia's catering specials. Open now. Simply Sonia's Southern cuisine and cocktails. 3050 University Parkway inside the Best Western Plus Hotel in Winston-Salem. Blue Naples Pizzeria in Kernersville is now hiring. Come work for one of the best Italian restaurants in the triad. Currently hiring dishwashers, cooks, front cashiers, and more. Great hours, great pay. Give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Start working this week. Blue Naples Pizza. Kim Source Direct is a single source supplier. In business since 2007, they have over 80,000 products for customers just like you. Located in the heart of North Carolina, they supply cleaning products all throughout the Southeast. Whether you're a commercial business, office, or municipal building, looking for wholesale cleaning products, chemicals, cleaning equipment, or service, they've got you covered. Please reach out and start saving money today. Stop by their store open to the public and save. Kim Source Direct, 1207 South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the website at kimsourcedirect.com. Looking to change things up a little? Visit Salon Resi. Located at 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy, Salon Resi is the newest high-end full-service salon and spa in the triad. Salon Resi Spa includes massages and skin care. Get a full highlight treatment, shampoo and style, color and retouch, and much, much more. Salon Resi, where passion and creativity meet. 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy. You are locked into Tobacco Road Sports Radio, your home for triad sports. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. All 
Bob just burns red. My favorite band in the world welcomes us back to the score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Uh, lonely Vikings fan, Christian Emery. Lonely Panthers fan, Will Higdon. And uh, Michael Davis, a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, who will be in search of uh, this year's MVP uh, this weekend. We'll get to that in the third segment. we got to split this up because Week 18 in the NFL was far too eventful for us to just spend to combine the two. Um, all those unexpected, unlikely things that we thought would never happen, happened. <laughs> um, the Colts fell apart against Jacksonville. The Chargers Raiders, do we tie on purpose scenario came to be. Uh, the Steelers Ravens got a lot more interesting as that Colts-Jacksonville game was going on. Um, and this might sound like a bit of a dumb question, but I don't think it can be ignored. Um, as far as the Colts collapse here over the last couple of weeks. And I want to pose this to you guys. Did being on the in-season hard knocks add any pressure to the last two weeks of that season for the Colts? Did it have anything to do with that collapse? I would definitely consider it a distraction that you don't want in the locker room. And when you're preparing to play, hopefully in the playoffs, which of course we know that they're not, and I know they were experimenting with like an in-season hard knocks. And I'm sure as a fan for those watch, they're like, yeah, let's see it. But at the end of the day, let, I don't... Let me just state, I, I absolutely loved it. And I love it three times as much as the training camp concept because it's nothing we've ever seen. And it means a lot more in the season um, because it's not necessarily about one guy that gets cut or these two or three guys that get cut. You get to hear stories about the guys, you know, off the field, but... There's also the focus of, okay, what what in a game week happens? But in my mind, I have to think that that had at least some factor to the result. Because if you go back and look at the episode before the Raiders game, uh, those practices were not friendly uh, from Frank Reich. He, was, he did not mince words in those practices. Uh, I believe he said the words, we're going to come all this way and then do this crap in practice. Uh, same thing happened the week of the Jaguars game, uh, a lot of the coaching staff emphasized, okay, here's how the Jaguars are going to think, even though they're terrible. Hey, we haven't won there since 2014, so that's hanging over us. There's some kind of dark cloud in North Florida when they go there. I don't know why. But um, a lot of that coaching staff stressed, here's their mindset. If they have to go home, they're going to take us home with them. And that's what a lot of teams have the mindset of at that point, this point in the season. When you play spoiler, because you're already going home, you have nothing to lose. Look at the Lions running four trick plays against uh, Green Bay last week. But when you're in Indianapolis, you got one thing to take care of. I don't regardless of what your record is over the previous seven seasons there, regardless of it being a division rival and you know they're going to play hard, you have one job. Beat the worst team in football and get into the playoffs, and you still can't do that. It, it, it baffles me, and especially for GM Chris Ballard to come out this week and be noncommittal on Carson Wentz when the Eagles are in the playoffs and have your first-round pick, that makes you look worse, does it not? I think the Eagles kind of fleeced the, kind of fleeced the Colts on that deal. Oh, they did. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the Colts take a flyer on a quarterback later on in the draft. I don't know. I don't think they fully trust Carson Wentz right now. I know I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't either. And 
you know, the, okay, hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor thing worked up until Jacksonville, which is another thing. It, your offensive line, which has been so good all year, gets stuffed by the 30th ranked out of 32 teams run defense in the NFL. That's, that cannot happen. But everything that happened as a result of that, that Raiders-Chargers game, I maintained I would take to my grave that that Rams-Chiefs game in 2018 was the greatest game I ever witnessed. Uh, that changed Sunday night. Uh, that was the single greatest game I have ever witnessed because it had everything. Justin Herbert converting a record six fourth downs just to get the darn thing to overtime. I mean, just nuts. Just bonkers what happened. And I feel like the roar in that stadium and the exhale throughout all of Steeler Nation probably registered some kind of a massive earthquake. Uh, everyone either heard or felt something of that. But um, from the perspective of, as that game went along, and they talked about this on the broadcast. I don't normally listen to what Chris Collinsworth says. I try to tune him out. Uh, but he he was right when he said at some point as the game flowed along, where it was turning, you had to at least consider the possibility that one of those coaches would at least have that mindset. And the Raiders said that after the game. Said, we were going to run the clock down. And the Chargers called timeout, and that changed our thinking. I don't know if that was gamesmanship or lip service or whatever, but I'm not going to sit here and 100% say for sure that was what they were going to do. Um, But I think to some degree, it changed their thinking. And from the Chargers' perspective, their reasoning was... We had to get our run defense in there. Our run defense wasn't in there. We knew they were going to run the ball. What If you knew they were going to run the ball, why was your run defense not in there? You had to go timeout to get them in there. Make this make sense. I, I believe and fully believe that the Raiders and Chargers pretty much agreed, hey, we're going tie and we're both going to the playoffs. And that lone Pittsburgh Steelers fan in that stadium that night was so upset but this this was wwe-esque if i may because you know we talk about bret hart and Shawn michaels in montreal like the chargers and raiders were like okay we're we're going we're going running the clock out we're both going to make playoffs everyone goes home happy and then they're like psych let's call a timeout and kick a field goal and what do you have to lose there and they kick their division rival out who they see twice next year, and Justin Herbert's not going away. No. You're still going to have to play Justin Herbert twice next year, and as as much of an epic moment as it was to see the Raiders like get one over on their division rivals, the Chargers are not going to forget about that next year. Let's get to the coach firings, um, as is customary after the last week of the NFL season. Uh, as you can see on Christian's screen, it says trade Kirk Cousins. Um, fortunately for you, your head coach and general manager are now unemployed, um, as are the general manager and head coach of the Chicago Bears. Uh, for some reason, Brian Flores is unemployed. Um, but with the Texans decision yesterday to fire, uh, David Cully and they're targeting Brian Flores, I think that has a lot to do with, okay, there's somebody a lot better than you out there. So we're just going to can you and go get him, uh, which is understandable. Uh, because Brian Flores wanted Deshaun Watson the whole time. That was 
supposedly the reasoning was that there was contention between management and Brian Flores about wanting to go get Deshaun Watson. So he can go to Houston and deal with it, I think is what uh, the Dolphins and the Texans both uh, put up there. But um, I think I was most surprised by the Brian Flores firing. Now that I see those two reasonings kind of mesh together, I understand it better. But the fact that that man was unemployed one day longer than Joe Judge was unemployed... Um, and the fact that Matt Rule still has a job and Joe Judge and David Culley, after one and two years respectively, don't, confuses me. It's a travesty. Yeah, the only really firing that I'm really kind of shocked about, well, I'm not surprised at Mike Zimmer, I'll say that much, but the you're Brian not Flores surprised you're happy with it. Yes, I am, and you, and I, you know that. <laughs> um, little shock on Spielman too, but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, Flores was the only one that really made me sit back a little bit and think, what are they doing? But everything else, not surprising except for Spielman, like I said, but I don't know what the Wolves are thinking of doing that, but it's not me my decision to make. Nope. And when you talk about where the Vikings head now with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, you're going to end up with a mid first round pick. What do you do? Do you take your guy, Sam Howell? Do you lean secondary like you have the past seven years? Uh, with, with Spielman as as out as the GM, that obviously had, I think, something to do with the decision was the history of uh, repetitiveness in the draft. Um, but a lot of people said that the Lions should have canned Dan Campbell. And let me say this. If you see, if you saw how that team played, uh, not just in the games, many games that they lost, in the three games that they won. They beat Arizona, um, number one. Number two, if you saw the end of that Vikings game, the first guy Jared Goff went to after he threw that touchdown was Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell pulling out pulling those trick plays out of the bag um, Sunday against Green Bay. Granted, all their second-team defenders were out there for most of it, but you can't sit here and tell me that that's a Lions team that, you know, had given up on their coach, that their coach had given up on them, that he lost a locker room. That that team played as hard for Dan Campbell as any team, as hard as any team played for any coach in the league, period, the entire year. And they were in pretty much every game they played. So I, I don't want to hear that narrative. Um, Joe Judge pretty much sealed his fate when he decided to run a quarterback sneak on third and nine from his own five which I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around where that decision came in. And the press conferences that he had, I mean, you think Matt Rules were bad, which were, they were bad. Um, comparing himself to Jay-Z was the biggest flop. Uh, hey, it but took Joe, him seven years, man. Seven years. <laughs> what, what is he going to do next? Is he going to pull a Joel Embiid? You got to trust the process. No, Matt. You just fired your second offensive coordinator in two years. This is this is not going either of those directions. This is going completely south. Mm-hmm. So, nope. why do you still have a job? Oh Lord, that's we're, we'll get into that later with uh, with our good friend uh, for the first time on the show ever, uh, Shuler Callahan. Uh, will give us his thoughts on why on God's green earth Matt Rule still has a job. Uh, but when we look back on the first ever week 18 
kind of in a reminiscent fashion. We saw teams play their starters uh, that might not have if it was a week 17 because two teams would have had buys. Packers played their guys for the first half. The Cowboys played theirs until they had 50 points on the board. Um, so when, when we look back at it, I think it was a success, and I think the NFL knew what they were doing when they did this. Um, and they've got uh, they got quite the uh, quite the event uh, on their hands when it comes to the NFL season finale going forward. When we come back, we'll preview Super Wild Card Weekend here on the Score. You are listening to The Score with Brett Wiseman on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Blue Naples Pizzeria in Kernersville is now hiring. Come work for one of the best Italian restaurants in the triad. Currently hiring dishwashers, cooks, front cashiers, and more. Great hours, great pay. Give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Start working this week. Blue Naples Pizza. Tim Source Direct is a single source supplier. In business since 2007, they have over 80,000 products for customers just like you. Located in the heart of North Carolina, they supply cleaning products all throughout the Southeast. Whether you're a commercial business, office, or municipal building, looking for wholesale cleaning products, chemicals, cleaning equipment, or service, they've got you covered. Please reach out and start saving money today. Stop by their store open to the public and save. Tim Source Direct, 1207 South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the website at kimsourcedirect.com here at tobacco road sports radio we ask the tough questions hey you got any left-handed footballs we're never afraid to tell you how we feel oh we look like the damn bad news bears we'll debate sports we'll debate anything and you lying you ain't never met martin luther king not the way out of me yes he did no he didn't yes he did no he did not no matter what tobacco road sports radio has you covered I'm going to come right back at it. soldier. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Purchase your tickets now for the 2022 Softball Expo, January 14th and 15th at the Park Expo and Conference Center in Charlotte at Liberty Hall. Nationally known speakers from around the country include C.J. Beatty, Tony Medina, Matt Lisley, and more. Vendors with the latest softball equipment, uniforms, tournaments, and technology. Coaches Clinic on Friday for travel and high school coaches, autograph sessions, raffles for free equipment, and much more. Players wear your team jersey on Saturday and get in free. For more information, visit DiamondStarEvents.net. Team Retire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Team Retire and Auto offers full-service auto repair all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no appointment needed quick lube shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. So 
Sorry about that. I got to remember to un press the unmute button. Uh, Enterprise Earth, welcome here back to the score uh, this afternoon here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. They got a new album out today. Uh, it's called The Chosen, uh, available wherever you find music. Or if, like me, you want to be old and buy the CD copy, uh, do that too. Um, let's preview Super Wild Card Weekend now as we look ahead. Michael, uh, your Cowboys will be in the uh, now iconic uh, Nickelodeon game. We'll have our predictions for who the NVP uh, will be. Uh, later on today. I just want to say this before we get into the rest of this. I watched ESPN and other sports channels more than Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network as much as I did watch those as a kid because I'm obsessed. Where was NFL Slime Time 15 years ago? That would have been great. That would have been just fantastic. I would have loved the heck out of that. But it took you this long, Viacom. This long. Hey, better late than never. I guess. You know, not happy about it, but you know, whatever. We had Nicktoons Kart Racing as a video game, but we couldn't get NFL Slime Time. Hey, All we had was Backyard Football. Kart Racing was the best video game. And if you didn't pick Ernie Steele as your tight end in Backyard Football, you're doing it wrong. Ernie Steele and Pablo Sanchez in Backyard Baseball are like the two most undefeated video game characters of all time. Like, the final boss in every game ever? Yeah, those are them. Dmitry Petrovich? No. Dmitry Petrovich was garbage. I could tackle him with his own pen. Anyways, um, Super Wild Card Weekend. Derek Carr, Joe Burrow, each his first career playoff game, Saturday afternoon, 4.15 on NBC. And for some reason, if you don't even have an antenna, uh, you can watch it on Peacock. Um... I don't know who will be calling it because NBC does have two games, uh, one Saturday and then one Sunday night. Uh, but when we look at this matchup, guys, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say that the Raiders could go in there and pull off this upset because I feel like this is a pretty even matchup regardless of the seeding. Yeah, I wouldn't consider this an upset by any means if either team won. And it's really a toss-up, and my bet is Vegas because they need it more. And they realize that the interim tag is still on Rich Bisaccia. And Who has done a whale of a job, by the way. And if they don't bring him back, regardless of what happens this Sunday, it's a mistake. It's a huge mistake. Because he, with everything they've had to deal with, he has done a masterful job getting them to this point. And if, if they don't bring him back because of a lost Sunday, that's a travesty. Had the issues with John Gruden, um, of course, Henry Ruggs and the incident that happened there, which Henry Ruggs was a talented player. So not right. only do you have to like handle the media backlash from it, but right, also but the football side of things, you lose probably your best receiver, best receiver and Hunter Renfro, by the way, what, what a guy <laughs> he's stepped up out of nowhere uh, in Ruggs' absence. And I so, haven't seen him catch that many passes since his 18th year at Clemson. Oh, but yeah, Basaccia. How old is he now? Like forty-five. When did he graduate from Clemson? Oh, he's already balding for sure. <laughs> Brett Favre went gray at thirty-two. Hunter Renfro lost his hair at his junior year at Clemson. Anyways, uh, the spread on this game is Cincinnati by six. I have a tough time, like you said. I I don't really want to bet completely on Vegas unless it's to cover here. I think this is going to be close. Um, you've got two teams with identical records. 
two teams that play um, opposite styles of football. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they, they're they a bit of an air raid offense. And then uh, the Raiders like to pound it down with, uh, with Josh Jacobs. And then they'll bring in Marcus Mariota once every five, six plays to give people a different look. But these are two teams that are evenly matched in terms of their offensive styles are different. But um, each has kind of middle-of-the-road defenses. So I think we have potential for a shootout here. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one thing that I want to look at for the Bengals, I think the weakness for the Bengals in this game is going to be their offensive line. Right. Because the offensive line is very, uh, very weak. Now, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase can kind of cover that up. But still, I think that's going to be the key weakness for the Bengals in this game. It's going to be very close. But I still think the Bengals will probably pull it out in the end. I think they'll only win by like three points, if I'm being honest, like a last-second field goal or something. I think it'll come down to a, to a field goal deficit. It's not going to be six or more. Vegas will cover the spread. I think Cincy will win, but I, I, I'm glad that you brought up that offensive line because that's twofold. Not only have the Bengals allowed the most sacks in the NFL since the beginning of 2020, the beginning of Joe Burrow's rookie year, uh, and were the reason that he missed the back half of the 2020 season because they failed to block. Um, you look at what that Raiders pass rush did uh, against a pretty vaunted Chargers offensive line that had protected Justin Herbert very, very well up until that point. Um, they had pressure on Justin Herbert all night. And whether they got to him or not, they made him uncomfortable. And when you have guys like like Max Crosby and the guys on the edge that they have in terms of the edge rushers and the guys at the middle as well, they've got a very good linebacking core. The defense itself is kind of middle of the road, but when you look at the pass rush, against an offensive line like Cincinnati, that has the potential to flip a game. Oh yeah. I mean it start winning games starts in the trenches. If you can't control the if you can't control the line of scrimmage, you're not gonna win many games. That's gonna be their key to victory if they were to win this game on uh, I think it's tomorrow. It's just they have to dominate that offensive line win up front. Yeah, tomorrow afternoon four thirty uh on NBC. Uh the nightcap Tomorrow night, Pats Bills, the rematch of uh can we call it the wind game? Or the uh You know how they always name episodes of Friends, the one where yada yada this is the one where no one passed. Or the one where no Patriot passed, let me put it that way. Um I don't think that's gonna happen this time, but Josh Allen has a history in cold weather games. Um now what Bart Scott said about hey, take Viagra, because that'll warm you up on national television. That was a brilliant idea. Uh, it can pop you for PEDs, by the way, if you don't have a prescription for it. Um, so I don't think anyone's going to try that. Uh, Bart Scott said he knew guys that tried that, so I need to go back and do some digging on how many members of the 2009 New York Jets popped for PEDs after the season was over. Um, anyways, they played the Patriots in those playoffs, too. This is a completely different Patriots team in terms of you know, without a Brady at the helm, this is the first time in years we can really say the Patriots' defense has gotten them to this point, 100%. Top-scoring defense in the NFL. Great, and Mac Jones has been more than good enough. He's been great, actually a lot better than I expected him to be. Uh, as their starting quarterback, they've been able to run the ball very well too, but um, defense, as we know, wins championships, and when you look at this game, the spread is Buffalo by four and a half. The over-under is 44. So when the over-under is 44, um, both these defenses are really good. 
and both games between these two teams have been relatively to heavily low scoring. Um, I think you're going to see New England not necessarily throw only three passes, but they're going to go heavy on the run. Um, and Josh Allen's going to have to figure out a way to, to keep his hands warm because he has never won a game in temperatures below 15 degrees. And the high is only supposed to be eight, I believe, uh, pre-wind chill. And this is Buffalo, so there's going to be wind chill. Um, he's going to have to find a way to exercise those demons. But against a defense like this that did what they did to him last time in similar conditions, I don't see it happening. I see New England coming out with the win here. Yeah, Brett. I'll say Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I say New England's probably going to win this. You give Belichick a third game against an opponent that he's planned for pretty well. He's going to have this a combination of those game plans, and then he's given the defensive genius that he is, he's going to have another game plan to put on top of that. So I don't see how Josh Allen can really do much of anything, to be honest with you. Right. It's... And he has those cold weather demons, and that's going to be the storyline. But when you give Bill Belichick a third game against somebody, very hard to prepare against what he has prepared for you. All right, yeah. let's move on to Sunday. Uh, Eagles, Bucks. Uh, the Eagles, top rushing offense in the NFL. Uh, Buccaneers, top passing offense in, or the, in the NFC, both of those. And the Eagles get Miles Sanders back uh, less than three weeks after he had surgery on his right hand. That news uh, just dropped moments ago. So that's a big boost for the 9-8 and eight Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, they're going into Tampa. Tampa's at home. They'll have a full crowd um, for this round of the playoffs, although they didn't have a home playoff game uh, last year when they made the run. They had a Super Bowl at home, but whatever. Um as much as I want to say the Eagles have a chance to at least make this a game, um, I can't sit here and tell you that Tom Brady and company are going to lose at home to a 9-8 and eight Eagles team. Yeah, I don't see the Eagles coming out with this one at all. I know the Bucks have dealt with some injuries and stuff, but I mean that, they seem to be getting healthy just in time for the playoffs. And they, again, it's at home, it's full crowd. I think Tampa just walks away with this one by like, I'd say seven to ten points. Well, the spread is nine or eight and a half. But uh, I'd say at least ten to fourteen point victory is incoming. Um, those injuries are going to rear their head um, at some point on, on that receiving core and not having Antonio Brown. It's not going to happen against the Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to happen in the divisional round regardless of who they play. And if they get to the NFC Championship game, it's going to happen then too. But remember, Scotty Miller still exists. And we didn't know he existed until last year's NFC Championship game uh, when Kevin King magically forgot how to cover people with 10 seconds to go in the half. I'm still bitter about that, if you can't tell. Um, now, I don't think this is going to happen. But keep in mind, Tom Brady is winless against NFC East teams in the playoffs. Except for last year. Yeah, he beat Washington last year. He beat year. Washington yeah. last year. Oh, there we go. Okay, Brady's got it. <laughs> Michael Davis, everyone. Your team's playing on Nickelodeon, okay? Hey, Can you even my take team's you seriously playing. at this point? Um, look, I'm just happy that this matchup is back in the playoffs. As much history and as much mystique uh, as this matchup has in terms of uh, the, the playoff games that have happened, the 92 NFC Championship game, uh, the catch with Dwight Clark. I mean, 
pick and choose. I mean, this is games. These are games that you know. My dad always talks about growing up in high school. It was automatic that those two teams were going to meet in the playoffs at some point. Um, except this time they're going to meet in a normal broadcast on CBS, but also on Nickelodeon. Um, I don't know what the betting lines are for the MVP. All I know is that Dallas is favored by three, and it's in Dallas. Um, I think this is going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a close game. I also think it's going to be a fairly high-scoring game. As up and down as the 49ers defense has been and as up and down as the Cowboys defense has been uh, lately, especially that Arizona game, uh, I feel like this is going to be tightly contested but also high-scoring. Um, and I'm going to give my MVP uh, to Dak Prescott. He will get slimed post-game. I think it's going to be a close game, but I don't think it's going to be an offensive juggernaut, as some may expect, because um, Dallas's offense has been the more uh, inconsistent in terms of their team, and uh, Dallas's defense has been really, really good. Um, and I'm expecting Micah Parsons to come out as the Nickelodeon valuable player. I will say the full name. And it's going to be close. And if Dallas isn't careful, then San Francisco could sneak up on them. But this is going to set the pace for not only the rest of the playoffs, but the next two, three years of the Cowboys regime. Like, are they going to just be pushed over come January? Or... Are they actually going to make the leap and put the untapped potential of this team to full fruition? I was talking to um, a Kernersville police officer walking into East Forsyth High School the other night to call uh, East Forsyth and Glenn basketball here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, and he saw my Packers mask and, you know, got through the line and whatever, and he was like, the only problem, I got your mask. I was like, who do you root for? He was like, he was, said he was a Dallas fan, so we kind of got to talking before I got over to to our, our perch over there in the back right corner of the gym. And, you know, he said, I, I know I don't care how much talent we have. We always find a way to screw it up. He said we find a way to Dallas it. And that's not a thing that was ever said 20, 30 years ago. Um, back to the mid to late 90s. Um, if anything, when the Cowboys lost to the Panthers in the divisional round of the Panthers' second year of existence, that killed playoffs for the Cowboys for, for many years to come. But um, I think if there was any opponent to get up for uh, for a wild card game, it'd be the San Francisco 49ers, just with the mystique that that carries. Um, finally, Sunday night, Kansas City's a 12.5-point favorite against the Steelers, who snuck in thanks to the Raiders. Big Ben and company go into this thinking, we don't have a chance, do we? So what do we have to lose? Um, but I do think this is going to be Big Ben's last game. Um, if he comes out with a victory and gets one more, that's a miracle in my book. But the way the Chiefs have, have come on, especially since the midseason point, um, they have completely flipped the script on this entire year. Um and I think they uh, they come out with at least a two-touchdown victory in this one, if not more. Yeah, I don't see Pittsburgh pulling this out really at all. I think Kansas City is 
this is probably one of the ones this is the only game i see in this wild card weekend i see probably getting out of hand with kansas city probably running away with it i think they're going to win by at least two scores yeah i don't see i think it'll be a close game until probably the last five five or so minutes of the second quarter and then after half kansas city if it's not already a blow it'll just put the pedal to the metal and close the game out. And it's so sad to see Big Ben's career in this way. Like two weeks ago, we had that historic like fairy tale moment at home. And then last week he beats Baltimore. Like this kind of makes me wish that the Raiders and Chargers would have tied. So this isn't our last image of Ben Roethlisberger. Well, if anything, the, the magic that it took for them to get in for the Indy Jacksonville results to happen for um, the Chargers to call that timeout to allow the Raiders to kick that field goal. Who knows? There might be some kind of divine stealer force um, up there somewhere. Franco Harris is probably shooting down lightning bolts or something. See, yeah, see, you're looking around. You know what's coming, especially with Steeler Cowboy uh, Super Bowls in uh, history. But I don't want this to be our last image of Big Ben, but Maybe the potential is there for some some kind of divine intervention for what it's taken to get them into the playoffs. Uh, they tied the Lions, for God's sake. I mean, um, I don't want to see Big Ben go out in a blowout. I want them to keep it close. But when I look at things objectively, aside from that, I don't see any way, shape, or form they stay in this game beyond halftime. I'm so, I, just, I just don't. Yeah, I don't really see it either. Like I said, I think Kansas City, they'll probably just run away with it in the second half. Or they'll make it like, it'll be like one of those games that appears close, but then the final score is going to be a lot farther on than you probably thought it might be. It's going to be one of those, the score is not indicative of how close this game was at one point. Uh, Christian, before we uh, let you go for the next little bit, um, because you have trade Kirk Cousins on your screen, who would be your target to go get, and where would you like to see him go? Are you talking when you say go get? Are you talking about just another do you quarterback? Want to, do you want to pull a Stafford Goff, or do you want to pull a Wentz to the Colts? Do you want to trade picks, or get picks back, or do you want to just swap QB for QB? Ideally, I, I'd like. Well, you obviously know my preference um, of who we, of who the Vikings replace him with, which is uh, for those of you who don't know, is Sam Howell. Um, but that's just because I'm being a UNC fan for most of my life. But that's a whole Christian other also thing. works for the Tar Heel Sports Network. That too. Um, but personally, I think the best move would just be to just start over. Don't trade him for somebody who won't be the key to the future just i would say just trade him to a team like pittsburgh or denver or maybe houston for all i know for all we know um and get a and get a pick and then i would try to package those two picks together and trade to um draft kenny pickett sam howell one of the quarterbacks but they got to take care of the general manager first and i'm hoping that they just uh, trade him, don't release him. He has a forty-five million dollar cap hit. 
And so I think just trade him for picks or another player if it helps, and then just let the new general manager or head coach, whoever those happen to be, um, pick take the pick and establish their guy. Tell me you don't want to swap Kirk Cousins for Davis Mills one for one? Hard pass on that one, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's wrong with that? Davis Mills lit up the Chargers. Come on. Eh. Kid's a gunslinger. He I'm biased on Rod Taylor, but you know. I'm biased on one Sam Howell, so I could stir up a lot, and uh, Rogers can pull Brett Favre and go to Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> no, I will, I will. As an owner of the Green Bay Packers, I will not allow that to happen ever. If he goes anywhere; it's Pittsburgh. It's the only thing I could be okay with. What about Denver? Not even Denver. I can't even be okay with Denver because they beat us in the Super Bowl when I was barely alive, but I'm still bitter about it because, I don't know. Ask my dad about it. He's more pissed about it than I am. Anyways, we got to get to a break here. Uh, when we come back, Skyler Callahan uh, will be joining us. He's a beat writer for Sports Illustrated for both the Carolina Panthers and the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, we'll come right back and get his thoughts on uh, the current state of the Carolina Panthers right here on the score. You are listening to The Score with Brett Wiseman on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Craving fried chicken? Stop by One Stop on the way to the big game. One Stop number 6, located at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville, serves fresh fried chicken and famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Craving wings? Come try the new spicy breaded wings. Get a five-wing meal with six taters in a roll for just $7.39. Now in regular, hot, ranch, or spicy. One stop number six, 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. Looking to change things up a little? Visit Salon Resi. Located at 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy, Salon Resi is the newest high-end full-service salon and spa in the triad. Salon Resi spa includes massages and skincare. Get a full highlight treatment, shampoo and style, color and retouch, and much, much more. Salon Resi, where passion and creativity meet. 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy. You are locked into Tobacco Road Sports Radio's TGIF lineup. Because it's Friday, you ain't got no job, and you ain't got shit to do. I ain't set this up. I ain't know nothing about this. This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Damn it. Hey. Welcome to TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Kim Source Direct is a single source supplier. In business since 2007, they have over 80,000 products for customers just like you. Located in the heart of North Carolina, they supply cleaning products all throughout the Southeast. Whether you're a commercial business, office, or municipal building, looking for wholesale cleaning products, chemicals, cleaning equipment, or service, they've got you covered. Please reach out and start saving money today. Stop by their store open to the public and save. Kim Source Direct, 1207 South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the website at kimsourcedirect.com. Purchase your tickets now for the 2022 Softball Expo, January 14th and 15th at the Park Expo and Conference Center in Charlotte at Liberty Hall. Nationally known speakers from around the country include C.J. Beatty, Tony Medina, Matt Lisley, and more. 
vendors with the latest softball equipment, uniforms, tournaments, and technology. Coaches Clinic on Friday for travel and high school coaches, autograph sessions, raffles for free equipment, and much more. Players wear your team jersey on Saturday and get in free. For more information, visit DiamondStarEvents.net. This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls, take a lesson. You can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you and keep it in the fairway. Blue Naples Pizzeria in Kernersville is now hiring. Come work for one of the best Italian restaurants in the triad. Currently hiring dishwashers, cooks, front cashiers, and more. Great hours, great pay. Give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Start working this week. Blue Naples Pizza. You are locked into Tobacco Road Sports Radio, your home for triad sports. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Lorna Shore welcomes us back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Will Higdon and Michael Davis alongside us. Skyler Callahan joins the program for the first time. Sports Illustrated beat writer for both the Carolina Panthers and... Uh, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, we'll get to the Hornets uh, here in a little bit, but uh, Skyler, first of all, uh, welcome to the program. Glad to have you. I think we might have had a, lost him for a second. I'll bring him back on in a bit. Okay, uh, guys. There's actually uh, this is a good opportunity because there's a, there's one game we forgot to mention uh, in Super Wild Card Weekend. Um, it's Cardinals Rams. Oh, there he is. The one thing I will say, Matthew Stafford's wife went on local television and implored people not to sell their tickets to Arizona fans. <laughs> she, she said fans like the Rams have fans of their own. Man, you wagon, baby. And, you look at that game Sunday. SoFi looked like Levi's. There was a lot of red. Like a lot. So... <clears throat> Okay, Skyler. Well, first of all, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, guys. You are heading to uh, Spectrum Center, I presume, as the Hornets uh, take on the Orlando Magic uh, this evening. Ah, he's in the car driving there, so we may have lost him again. I'll bring him back in. No worries. Um, he's going to an important game with the uh, Panthers and the uh, Panthers. Jesus. Hornets. Uh, the Hornets in the Orlando Magic uh, tonight. Um, Hornets have won four in a row now. Uh, they've defeated the Bucks twice. They finally defeated the 76. There he is. All right, Skyler, let's get your thoughts on um, the current state of the Carolina Panthers right now. Uh, we hit on it a little earlier on in the program, but what do you think is the main um reasoning behind the decision to hold on to Matt Rule at least for one more year? Well, I mean, I think it, it starts with the seven-year deal. I mean, David Tepper's a guy that he wanted 
to commit to somebody long-term because he knew it was going to take time. And although the results have not been what he rule or anybody would have wanted in the first two years, I think that they understood that this was going to be a process. When they came in, they knew that they were going to tear everything down, start anew. And when you do that, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. Now, the product on the field certainly probably wasn't as good as it was a year ago. And even then it wasn't that great, but I mean, the pieces are still there. The, defensively, I think there's a there's a foundation on that side of the ball now. And for the offensive side, you've got key playmakers at key spots, at running back and receiver. If you fix the offensive line, it, it could help, you know, whatever Sam Darnold does. But I, I just think that they're, they're going to give him a third year because they, they knew it was going to take time. They knew the, the time and investment that they were making in him when they signed him. So I think they're going to give him this shot. But as I've told Desmond and a lot of other people, I, this is the year where he's got to start showing results. And if that doesn't happen, then I, I would not be shocked at all to see him be fired. So when I've heard this thrown about um, a few places that Matt Rule, in terms of his coaching style and his personality, um, can be a little abrasive uh, at times. Um don't know that's had any effect on things, but uh, he's now gone through two offensive coordinators in two years. I I agree 100% with the fact that defense is, there's a definite foundation there. There's things that are cemented in terms of the talent level. And there's plenty of playmakers still on offense, but when you're going through, you know, offensive coordinators as often as, as he is, kind of gets hard to, to build a consistent game plan week, week after week and year after year. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's that's kind of the big issue with this offense right now is they, they lack an identity. And he's he's wanted to run the football, be physical, kind of be like an old school, you know, NF type of NFL offense. But they just haven't had really the horses to do it. And it all starts up front. I mean, we, we see how bad the offensive line play was this year. And a lot gets made about the pass protection, and rightfully so, because it was just atrocious. But really – they, they, they could really run the football consistently. And when you can't run the football, you're going to have to start dropping back and throwing with Sam Darnold, and that's not going to win you many games. So I don't know exactly what they're looking for uh, or what rule is looking for in an offensive coordinator. I would assume it's still that, you know, let's run the ball first and open up the passing game type of coordinator. But out of the names that I've seen pop up, I think Pep Hamilton, to me, makes the most sense. I mean, he's a guy that has history – in the NFL with with quarterbacks, especially younger quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Andrew Luck, and even this past year with Davis Mills, a lot of people haven't watched the Texans play. I mean, Davis Mills played really good football down the last seven or eight games of the season. So Pep Hamilton he basically makes no won sense that to me, job. But from, I think if you go Taylor, like so. to Bill O'Brien, I think that's a situation where they could possibly be buttonheads. So I just it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, and Davis Mills, you said it. He pretty much won that job uh, from from Tyrod Taylor uh, through the midway point of that season. Um, I think what their what their decision is going to be as far as OC goes is going to be dependent upon where they go in the draft. Um, preferably, you'd like to go O line heavy, um, but offensive linemen are going to good offensive linemen are going to be uh, throughout the draft. Um, if you're picking mid first round, like I think we're anticipating them to, um, there's four or five quarterbacks that are probably going to go eight through 15 and all be off the board by that time. So, 
uh, when you've got Sam Howell, Matt Corral, and and a few of those other guys in that mix, um, I think the decision on OC is going to be dependent upon which quarterback is on the board, and if there's not a quarterback on the board that's the right fit, then that changes the thinking. Yeah, it's it's going to be. I think really what the these talks are going to be about is whatever whoever the 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 OC candidates they're talking to, they're going to target guys that they they feel like can elevate the play of the guys that's currently on the roster, like Christian McCaffrey. How do you utilize him? How do you keep him safe? How do you get DJ Moore to take that next step and be a true number one receiver? Which I mean, he's basically there, but he's just a few steps behind everybody else in the league when it comes to that true number one status. And how do you fix the offensive line? I think those are, those are the questions that Matt rule wants to figure out from the, this offensive coordinator, whoever it's going to be and worry about the, the draft and free agency and all that stuff later on. I, Cause I believe they'll, they'll have an offensive coordinator within the next two to three weeks is my guess. Um, but what they do with that first round pick is going to be a really, really interesting. I think you have to go offensive line. Um, whether it be Ike McQuanu from NC State, whether it be Evan Neal out of Alabama. I mean, there's a ton of guys there. But I think it's going to get really, really interesting whenever or if this happens, if Neal is off the board, if Aquanu is off the board, if all if the two to three top three linemen are off the board when they pick at eight, does that mean you just trade back? Because I don't, I don't know if I'm sold on any quarterback to take them at number eight, even Kenny Pickett. I think it's kind of a – a hit or miss type of situation. So I would not be surprised to see Scott Fitterer move back and maybe acquire an extra pick or two because they don't have a second round pick right now. Yeah, I, I certainly think, and and if you trade back, I could see you trading back to maybe th- the middle of the first round, maybe 14, 15, where Sam Howell and Matt Corral uh, will probably be sitting. And I like those two guys a lot more than I like Kenny Pickett. I feel like Kenny Pickett has potential but but like you said I feel like that that could be a hit or miss that could be a flash in the pan kind of thing um as far as pro style QBs go and arm strength um just what I've seen or what I saw all year from from Sam Corral Sam Howell and, and Matt Corral um impressed the heck out of me and if those three offensive linemen are off the board um I think you have to at least consider if you don't trade back into the second round you trade back middle of the first round get your QB have some competition in training camp, and if he wins the job, he wins the job. Uh, kind of like what the Patriots did with with Mac Jones, even though I think Bill Belichick had his mind when he drafted him that was going to be a starter. Um, but it a lot of that, I, I think, from what you just said, it changes my thinking a little bit to where when the decision on OC is made, that may affect where they go as far as the entire draft, whether it's mm-hmm. quarterback or not. Um, of course, they've got their eyes on those three linemen. But if those guys are off the board, if two of three of them are off the board, um, there's a lot of variables that go in play there, especially as to what kind of scheme fit they're going to try and look for in 2022. Yeah, the, the, the one thing that I think this OC needs to do is to kind of come in and have a plan as to what they want to do or what he's going to do with Sam Darnold, because regardless of what they want to do in the draft, I I really do not see them moving off of Sam Darnold. His $18 million fifth year option is going to be very difficult to move. If they try to trade, they're going to have to eat probably 15, 16 million of it for him to play on another team. 
and maybe get a fifth round pick out of it. So it's just, it's, there's not much value there. So from what I'm hearing and from everything that I'm gathering, it seems like Sam Darnold will be on this roster in 2022. And it sounds like it's, it, it would be a really kind of a good setup because even though Sam Darnold hasn't played well, if you go get Pep Hamilton, I mean, this is a guy that has so much success. It's like he's a quarterback whisperer. I mean, some of these guys that he's worked with, mainly like a Davis Mills, isn't really supposed to be that good of a quarterback in the NFL. We saw how bad he was early in the season, and then all of a sudden it just everything clicked. If he can take Sam Darnold to that next level, then they're in a great position. And I think that's the one thing that you got to be kind of cognizant of is if you get a guy like Pep Hamilton to to kind of groom up and brush up some areas of Sam Darnold's game, you don't want to put your spot in – you don't want to be in a spot where you take a quarterback at number eight, you have Sam Darnold, and maybe Sam Darnold figures it out. And then all of a sudden, now you're sitting there with kind of a, a 49er situation where you've got two quarterbacks and only one playing. So that that's going to be a tough situation for them. But I think they'd rather have that problem right now than having this quarterback situation that they have currently where they have absolutely no idea who the heck's going to be their starter. It begs the other question. What use is there for Cam Newton to come back next year? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't think there is much of one, and I hate to say that, but Cam Newton wants to play on a winning team. I mean, he's 32 years old. There's not much football left in front of him. And when you're at this point in your career, he just wants to try and get to a Super Bowl, whether that's as a starter, as a backup, more than likely as a backup right now. And he said, I believe earlier this week or last week, that he's not coming back to play on a 5-12 and team. So in the next month or two, up until March 16th when free agency starts, Matt Rule is going to have to, if he wants to bring him back, sell him on the idea that this team is going to be competitive next year and could get to the playoffs, which I think is really a tough sell right now when you look at the state of the team. So I don't see much of a reason for Cam to want to come back, and I don't see much of a reason for the Panthers to want him to come back either. Knowing you've got Darnold tied up to $18 million, you might take a rookie quarterback, you might try and trade for a guy. It just doesn't seem to make sense. And quite honestly, I, I think Panthers fans should want to see Cam go somewhere else where he's going to be utilized and maybe help a team win a Super Bowl. I think that's what a lot, the sentiment that a lot of Panthers fans had when when Cam had some limited uh, success uh, with the New England Patriots in 2020. But um, I don't think personally Matt Rule ever wanted to bring Cam Newton back of course the Sam Darnold injury forced the hand of of everybody but I think of the options they had available uh to go out and get someone off the street um for whatever reason I don't get the sense Matt Rule was 100% sold on bringing Cam Newton back and him being the starter until Sam Darnold got back yeah, I mean, I, I kind of got that same feeling as well. I mean, when when you have Darnold go out and it's going to be a five- to six-week thing, P.J. Walker being your only quarterback on the roster at the time before they went and signed Matt Barkley, I mean, you, you look around free agency, and Cam Newton's literally the most attractive free agent quarterback on the market at that time. So if you go and sign any – if you keep signing all these other guys and just keep pushing Newton away, it, I think it just – it would have – it would have kind of created more tension between or from the fan base towards rule because he's just kind of ignoring the fact that Newton was out there. 
And I think he, he knew that that was their best chance to bring in a guy like Cam that's been in this situation before, um, that's been in this organization before, has had success, and try to just kind of keep keep their head above water. Obviously, it didn't work out, but in the grand scheme of things, I kind of think it was the wrong move to bring Cam back, which may not be a popular opinion. But to me, I mean, when, you, when Matt Rule brought Cam back, I, I never thought that he was going to finish the season as a starting quarterback. I, I had a really strong feeling that whenever Sam came back healthy, it was going to go back to Sam Darnold. So I don't understand why they would bring back Cam Newton in a spot where, okay, does he get you to the playoffs? Maybe. And if he does, are, are, is this really a team that's going to go past the first round? And if that's not the case, then why not just continue to roll with P.J. Walker and maybe Matt Barkley and set yourself up for a top five pick? Um, so I, I don't know. And I think the, the other part of it was when you start playing that quarterback roulette uh, that they did in the last three to four games of the year, it kind of created more tension from the fan base because they just wanted to see Cam Newton, even though it did make sense in the last two games to start Sam Darnold so you know what you had in him. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. Uh, Schuler Callahan, uh, Skyler Callahan, excuse me, um, Co-host of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast with our producer, Desmond Johnson, and also beat writer for Sports Illustrated for the Carolina Panthers and the Charlotte Hornets, uh, who are on a four-game win streak. We'll dive into that next here on The Score. You are listening to The Score with Brett Wiseman on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. This is Donald Ware, host of Box to Row. I'm talking NFL playoffs plus NBA hoops talk with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. All of that right here on Box to Row. From press box to press row with Donald Ware, Saturdays at 9 a.m. on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. The wait is over. Simply Sonia's Southern Cuisine and Cocktails is now open. 3050 University Parkway inside the Best Western Plus Hotel. Open seven days a week starting at 11 a.m. daily. Freshly made Southern Cuisine with signature cocktails and lunch specials daily. The location for your next event with Simply Sonia's Catering Specials. Open now. Simply Sonia's Southern Cuisine and Cocktails. 3050 University Parkway inside the Best Western Plus Hotel in Winston-Salem. Looking to change things up a little? Visit Salon Resi. Located at 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy, Salon Resi is the newest high-end full-service salon and spa in the triad. Salon Resi spa includes massages and skincare. Get a full highlight treatment, shampoo and style, color and retouch, and much, much more. Salon Resi, where passion and creativity meet. 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy. We love sports. Joe Lewis, the greatest box ever lived. Not only do we love sports, but we love to debate sports. He was bad in Kansas Clay. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that's you? The new boy has Mike, Mike Tyson. Look like a bulldog. He bad in him, too. He done whip Mike Tyson ass. He whip all that. For the best sports analysis in the triad. What about Rocky Marciano? In-depth local coverage of your favorite schools and teams. Let me tell you something once for all. Rocky Marciano was good. But the bad at Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't and of course, the best sports debate in the triad. And Joe Lewis is as welcome to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Joe Lewis was seventy-five years old when he fought. You're welcome. I don't know how old he was. 
Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I did it again. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Dot com. Brett Wiseman alongside Michael Davis, Will Higdon, our producer Desmond Johnson, and Skyler Callahan back with us uh, for another segment. Again, he is the beat writer for Sports Illustrated for the Carolina Panthers, as well as the Charlotte Hornets and the host, co-host, I should say, of Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast with our producer Desmond Johnson. Let's get to uh, these uh, Charlotte Hornets, shall we? As you can see, I'm wrapping the uh, LaMelo Ball statement jersey on this Friday afternoon, which the Hornets will be wearing tonight at home uh, against the Orlando Magic, where, Skyler, uh, you will be. Uh, but this team's on a four-game win streak. It's their best record at the halfway point of the season uh, under James Borrego in his three years. Um, and when you look at the teams they've beaten on this win streak, the last three of them, uh, a home sweep of a, home, a sweep of a home doubleheader against the uh, defending champion Milwaukee Bucks, uh, who led Golden State by 44 points at halftime last night, um, I might add. So, two really good wins. And, uh, you know, a lot of people started to make the argument, okay, the Bucks didn't have Drew Holiday for those two games. They didn't have a couple other guys for those two games. But then you go into Philly, uh, a team that you had not beaten at home or away since November of 2016. You lost them 16 games in a row. And they're at full strength. Granted, they lost uh, Danny Green midway through that that first quarter, but Philly had everybody. So uh, my biggest thing is, yeah, you exercise those demons, but the other two wins at home against Milwaukee and a lot of the other games this year, we have seen this team grow up before our very eyes. And they've done so at a steady pace, but to have their best halfway point record under James Borrego, I think we can finally say this is the first time I can honestly say that this team, the way it's constructed currently, has a chance to not only make the playoffs, but get a pretty decent five or six seed. Um, The way things are trending right now, um, they'd have to jump a couple people, but a lot of things can happen. We're approaching the trade deadline. We'll dive into that as well, but This is a team that, as I said, has grown up before our very eyes. And when you win games like that, it's a mindset. It's a mentality. And when you can start to build those wins and build that confidence, it just makes things 10 times better going forward for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that that say that that they didn't have Drew Holiday, I mean, Kelly Oubre has been out of the lineup now, what, two, three games? So. Right. I mean, Kelly Oubre has been arguably the sixth man of the year in the NBA. He has meant so much to this Hornets team. And, I mean, I was I was there whatever night it was a couple of weeks ago when he hit eight threes in the fourth quarter. I mean, he is just a dynamic piece for this team that I thought – that really that I think nobody expected to happen. I mean, we knew how streaky of a shooter he could be. We knew he had NBA experience and he was a veteran in this league, but I don't think anybody expected him to have the season he's having with this team. And he, he just seems to fit really well with, with this group as well. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they kind of go about the next month or so, as you talked about the trade deadline, do they, do they make a move to really go for it or do they stay patient? 
stay to the process and, and not get ahead of themselves. But, I mean, the way that they've played in this past week and a half has really just kind of proved to me that they're a legitimate team. And, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is a team that's going to have to be in one of the playing games like they were a year ago. And I think that if they keep playing the way they are and continue to improve, this is a team that no one's going to want to see in that first round. And I guarantee you that if Milwaukee lines up and, and has to face Charlotte in the first round, they're going to be a little a little bit nervous because this team has, has played well against them in all three meetings, even though the one in Milwaukee, uh, I believe the Hornets were shorthanded for that one, and they still kind of battled up to the very end where you always hit the game winners. So this is this is a very exciting team right now, and and I think they kind of got to worry about tonight being a little bit of a flat spot against the what seven and thirty five Magic team. Yeah, you have to be wary of 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 that you know trap game potential. Um, but as you go into that arena tonight, um, especially over the last week and a half, two weeks, um, what has the vibe been like in the city of Charlotte? as this team has kind of started to build towards this and now uh, is on after taking down Philly, who had won, I believe, eight in a row before uh, Wednesday night, now has the longest winning streak in the Eastern Conference. What's the vibe been like in the Queen City uh, the past couple of weeks around this team? I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I really haven't. I mean, this is really the first time that you've seen the Spectrum Center just pop in every single night, regardless of the opponent. Uh, there was a couple of games – or maybe it was three or four games, three or four home games ago where they played the Rockets and it was a darn near sellout crowd. And they were just extremely loud, extremely into the game. And there's just a feeling that that it's almost become a home court advantage for them. And I don't know that you could say that in years past that the Spectrum Center brought that. I think there was a lot of times there was a lot of empty arenas, a lot of lethargic fans just kind of there to to almost see the opposing team. But now it's it's to see Lamella Ball, to see Miles Bridges, to see Terry Rozier, uh, to see maybe even young guys eventually like James Booknight come along. So there's there's just a, an energy and an aura about this this team that that has not been seen. I don't think ever in the history of the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, and, and this team's only going to get better. They're extremely young, extremely talented, and they're really just starting to scratch the surface. I, I completely agree, and I don't think we've seen anything like this. I don't know about the history of the franchise. I'd say that the the early to mid-90s was the only time we've ever seen this, um, when the Hornets sold out like 750-some-odd games in a 24,000-seat arena, I might add. I don't think we've ever seen uh, in either the Bobcats or the Hornets eras since the first couple of, of years of the Hornets, since... Uh, the last time the team made the playoffs in 2016, uh, Spectrum Center become the hive as the Charlotte Coliseum was back in the day. We haven't seen that home court advantage come to fruition. I haven't seen it come into fruition in the regular season uh, as well as I have this year, maybe since 2016, but it was kind of Kemba and that was it. You know, it's Kemba yeah. and Al, and that was it. Um, you look at the team that, that, this, that they put on the floor. With Kelly Oubre as, I would say, if he's not the NBA Sixth Man of the Year, there should be a federal investigation. <laughs> um, th- don't give me the Tyler Harrow stuff, Michael. I want to hear it right now. Tyler Hero is a Sixth Man of the Year, but that's another no, argument nope. for a different time. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll argue about that later because um, it's the incorrect take. But uh, 
You look at the team that, that, that gets put out on the floor every night. There's one hole, and it's center. Um, as well as Mason Plumley has played, I don't think any of us went into this season thinking he was the permanent solution. Um, he was kind of a placeholder, I guess you could say. But uh, there, there are going to be options as far as center goes at the deadline. <clears throat> Miles Turner, um, to name one guy, um, I think should be at the top of the wish list for, for Mitch Kupchak. But um, it does beg the question, as you said, um, do you go out and get that big piece center, um, the piece that a lot of people think you are missing, or do you stand pat um, and refuse to shake things up as well as this team is playing right now? There's, it's a double-edged sword in that aspect of things. Yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough process to to really go through because Mitch Kachep, I mean, he's been through this many many times, and he knows kind of when a team is ready to make a move, when they're not. And the one thing that stuck with me was back in a press conference he had in, I believe, October before the season started is that he wanted to to kind of wait till the end of December, the end of January, to really get a good feel for where this team was going to be. And by that time, he would kind of have a good idea as to whether or not they would they would go after that that piece. And I, I th- we're getting to that time. I mean, it's, it's yep. past the end of December. We're almost the end of January or midway through January. So you got to feel like if they keep winning games, it might point him in that direction. Now, is it going to be a trade that makes him say, oh, yeah, let's just shove all the chips into the table and go get Miles Turner? I, I don't know. Um, but they may go get a, a guy that, that could be, you know, serviceable backup to Mason Plumley or a compliment to Mason Plumley. I don't know if they're quite ready to pull the trigger on a Miles Turner trade just yet. I think the one thing you've got to get this team to do is to continue to take baby steps. Like last year, they made the playing game. Now this year, the expectation is to get into the playoffs without having to play that game. Maybe win a series. Next year, you win a series. So I think once they're able to – not just get to the playoffs, but know that they have a really strong chance of advancing and advance multiple rounds. That's when they should make the trade to go get Miles Turner or a player of his caliber. I don't know if they're quite there just yet. I agree. And when you look at um, the last, the only three times that Charlotte has made the playoffs since um, basketball returned to the Queen City in in two thousand four, two thousand five, um, all three of those instances. Um, they went out and got someone at the trade deadline that was a depth piece. Um, you look at uh, the Bobcats, the first time they made the playoffs. They went out and got Tyson Chandler before the season started. Uh, but uh, then they went out and got uh, Tyrus Thomas at, at that trade deadline. They got Larry Hughes at that deadline as well. Um, two really good depth pieces. You go back to 2013-14 uh, when they uh, played the Miami Heat in the final season of the Bobcats era. Uh, Chris Douglas Roberts came out of nowhere. They plucked him off the street uh, near the deadline, and uh, he played uh, whales of games down the stretch. Um, and then you go back to, to 2016. Uh, Courtney Lee was key um, in that Heat series uh, to just get it back to Charlotte uh, for a, a sixth game, uh, hit that game winner in game five. So um, if anybody, Mitch Kupchak should be looking at it, it's more depth pieces. Yeah, I, I I agree. They they don't need to 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 really rush this, and it's kind of the same thing with the Panthers. Like for for Panthers fans that are starting to kind of trickle over to to what following the Hornets, it's like you don't want to go and and trade for a guy like Deshaun Watson when you're not ready to make that cut type of a move yet. And it's right. the same thing with the Hornets. Like you don't want to go get a Miles Turner if 
it, you're just not ready. You don't want number one. You don't want to give up all the draft assets that that are gonna it, that's gonna be needed to give up that, or maybe even guys like James Booknight that may be involved, or a PJ Washington, um, some someone like that. And and you don't want to have to pay a guy like Miles Turner the amount of money that he's gonna have to be paid when you're just trying to get into the playoffs. I think a year from now, this is where the Hornets should be expected to go make a bigger splash at the deadline. Right now, I think they need, they just need more veteran of a veteran presence. You know, Plumlee, Hayward, Rozier, those guys bring that ish Smith a little bit, but they need somebody that has been to the playoffs before has tasted success and doesn't have to be, you know, a guy that can go get 20 points a night or 10 rebounds a night. They just need that kind of a glue guy to help carry them into the playoffs and, and do something once they get there. And I think Ishmith has the potential to provide a lot of veteran leadership, especially as good as he played early on in the season. But I agree with you um, in the fact that there's, if center is a missing piece, just that one more experienced voice in that locker room for for a Miles Bridges, for a Terry Rozier, for a Lamella Ball, for a PJ Washington, um, as well as the the young core of this team has played. When you put a Gordon Hayward, especially with how he played in Philadelphia the other night, if he played like that consistently, uh, be a godsend. Um, went what yeah. like ten for ten in the first half, I think. Um, only the fourth player in Hornets history to not miss a shot uh, in the first half. Um, Glenn Rice and Alonzo Mourning, I think, were two of the others. Uh, so that's pretty darn good company. Um, but I think, yeah, you're, you're missing just that one extra veteran presence and somebody who's hopefully stock has come down as far as on the trade market is a, is a Hassan Whiteside, uh, who's a North Carolina native, um, of course. He's played with Miami. Uh, he's got playoff experience. Uh, he's been in an organization where winning is definitely an expectation, as Michael knows, as a fan of the club. Um, so I, I think there's guys out there, maybe not to the caliber of Hassan Whiteside, but hopefully his stock has come down, but but that certainly fit that mold that I, I think Mitch Kupchak is certainly going to take a look at. And as you said, if he hasn't already made that decision, he's close to making it. Yeah, I mean, and I honestly think Hassan Whiteside is probably – more realistic of happening than Miles Turner at this point. Absolutely. Unless, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that could change that. But, I mean, if if this winning streak for Charlotte turns into, I mean, who knows? Maybe they get really hot and maybe this becomes like a 10, 11, 12-game win streak. At that point, if that if that happens, then who knows what Mitch Kupchak's thinking. Maybe at that point he is going to say, let's go all in and, and let's get a Miles Turner because – when you beat a team twice like the Milwaukee Bucks, who won the championship last year, they've beaten the Brooklyn Nets earlier earlier in the year. I believe it was like the second or third game of the year they beat the Brooklyn Nets, obviously without Kyrie, but still it's a very dangerous team. They've beaten some of the the best teams in the league. They've competed with some of the top teams in the league. If they get hot, don't be surprised to see Mitch Kupchak pull the trigger on a, on a Miles Turner or something like that, but Again, you, you've got to be careful of what you're going to give up because is it worth getting a Miles Turner and, and giving up, say, P.J. Washington and a couple of picks or, you know, a, a James Booknight and a couple of firsts? I mean, you've kind of really got to weigh that out and weigh the, the risk versus reward. 
where you could probably get a, a guy like Hassan Whiteside for a lot less cheaper. I mean, that's that would be my assumption. I don't know that for sure. I just assume my assumption would be that they down, could get so. him for a lot better deal. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, when you look at the upcoming schedule here for for Charlotte, of course they got the Magic tonight. They're at the Knicks um, on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, they've got the Celtics next Wednesday. So I mean, it's it's a fairly tough schedule. The, the rest of this month, the Lakers are coming into town uh, on the twenty eighth, I believe. Uh, got the Raptors on the road and on the twenty fifth. If that even happens, I don't know what the border thing's going to be like. You got the uh, the Hawks, who are always a, a tough opponent to play against. So, yeah, I mean, you got the Thunder as well. So it's it they're not necessarily it, it's kind of a mix of how it's been when you go Bucks, Bucks, Magic. We go Bucks, Bucks, Sixers, and then you go Magic, um, and then Knicks, and then it, you know it, it kind of ebbs and flows. But if anything, yeah, Mitch Kupchak, if he hasn't made his decision yet, the last the next five or six games are going to make that decision for him, Skyler. Uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. We really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the game tonight at the Hive. No problem, fellas. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. When we come back, we'll head to the eastern end of the state, which might be the only end of the state that's not going to get slammed by snow, ironically, because they have a hockey team. Uh, Christian Emery will tell us about all things Hurricanes next. You are listening to The Score with Brett Wiseman on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Blue Naples Pizzeria in Kernersville is now hiring. Come work for one of the best Italian restaurants in the triad. Currently hiring dishwashers, cooks, front cashiers, and more. Great hours, great pay. Give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Start working this week. Blue Naples Pizza. This is Donald Ware, host of Fox to Row. I'm talking NFL playoffs. Plus... NBA Hoops Talk with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. All of that right here on Box to Row. From press box to press row with Donald Ware. Saturdays at 9 a.m. on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Looking to change things up a little? Visit Salon Resi. Located at 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy, Salon Resi is the newest high-end full-service salon and spa in the triad. Salon Resi Spa includes massages and skin care. Get a full highlight treatment, shampoo and style, color and retouch, and much, much more. Salon Resi, where passion and creativity meet. 765 East Bluemont Road, Suite 200 in Mount Airy. Craving fried chicken? Stop by One Stop on the way to the big game. One Stop number 6, located at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville, serves fresh fried chicken and famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Craving wings? Come try the new spicy breaded wings. Get a five-wing meal with six taters in a roll for just $7.39. Now in regular, hot, ranch, or spicy. One Stop number 6, 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls, take a lesson. You can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you and keep it in the fairway. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair. 
all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no appointment needed quick lube shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. Kim Source Direct is a single source supplier. In business since 2007, they have over 80,000 products for customers just like you. Located in the heart of North Carolina, they supply cleaning products all throughout the Southeast. Whether you're a commercial business, office, or municipal building, looking for wholesale cleaning products, chemicals, cleaning equipment, or service, they've got you covered. Please reach out and start saving money today. Stop by their store open to the public and save. Kim Source Direct, 1207 South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the website at kimsourcedirect.com. Father Time is undefeated. It's going to hit Tom Brady eventually, too. It might be this year. Hopefully it's this year. And Matt LaFleur went to both of them and said, hey, remember that play you drew up on notebook paper on Thursday? Yeah, run it now. Like, that's the thing that's kind of tripping me up here. We've been clowning Kyrie Irving and his behavior for the past five years. I feel like I just got a point, like on a show or something. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Three, two... Seven South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the timsourcedirect.com. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Like Moss to Flames welcomes us back to the score this afternoon with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Joined alongside producer Desmond Johnson, who we hope is feeling uh, a little bit better um, since he is in uh, isolation. Uh, Des, you feeling okay now? Uh, Dake Will, good to go? Yeah? 
Okay. Hopefully he's fine. Um, Christian, Carolina Hurricanes. You live in that neck of the woods, I might add, as well. Um, I do. With the impending snowstorm, hopefully, you know, we don't get, you know, what we're talking about getting. But down east, you're not supposed to get a ton. So that could mean whatever home game the can- games the Canes have coming up uh, may not be impacted. But um, as evidence has shown, although not visually, at least not yet, um, I can make it known. Uh, I pay a lot more attention to the St. Louis Blues than I do the Carolina Hurricanes. So, especially as we approach uh, the NHL trade deadline, tell us where things stand with this hockey team. So, the Hurricanes right now, they're 20, I believe they have 24, they're 24, 8 and 2. They're two points back of the Rangers for first place, and there's Brett's uh, Blues figurine, uh, or whatever you want to call it. Um, My mom but, would call it the Canes are, but. 24, 24, 8 and 2. They have the highest point percentage in the NHL, if you can believe that, given how they've been in a pre- under previous regimes. I'll put it that way. Um, and they're just consistent hockey. They're two points behind New York for the top spot in the Metropolitan Division. The, but the thing is, though, they have a, um, with all of the cancellations they've had recently, they have two to five games left to left to play more than the other teams that are beside them. So there's a chance that they can really, this lead in the Metropolitan can go from a two-point deficit to, who knows, a four to five-point cushion that they have. I think both divisions um, in the Eastern Conference are most definitely as evenly matched as it gets, uh, especially when you look at the Atlantic, uh, Toronto, uh, being in third is not indicative of how elite and how good they are uh, because they're behind probably the two best teams in the NHL in, in Tampa Bay and Florida. Um, Metropolitan, as we know, is also very competitive. Uh, the Capitals have started to uh, surge uh, over the last month or so. Uh, the Islanders have kind of started to pick themselves up from uh, their rough start. Granted, they first 16 games were on the road, um, so... Not ideal for them, but uh, the talent they have, we knew they were going to find a way to get back into this. Um, what kind of difference has Frederick Anderson made, um, especially since coming back last week? Um, because I've I've always said that goaltending was my biggest worry uh, with this team as far as consistent goaltending and at times what had to be superhuman goaltending. I feel like the one thing the Hurricanes were always missing was a guy that could stand on his head when they needed him to. Um, not that you want that every night, of course, but you need that guy to have that capability when it's necessary. Frederick Anderson has that. He's proven that. He proved that in his first two or three starts with the Hurricanes this year uh, back in October. What kind of impact has he had not only in the net, but as far as giving everybody that plays in front of him confidence that he's going to make those big saves? Yeah, he's definitely had a big impact in net. And you mentioned standing on his head. The last the, the game against Calgary, I believe it was uh, last week, where the Canes won six three. He they were down one nothing at the end of the first. It could have been a lot more because the guy had to make twenty saves in the first, in the period. first period. Yeah. So, and then so I think that level of having somebody there who they can depend on, who they know could make that timely save if they need to, and he's made a bunch of those through the course of the season. I think that has a great impact on players like Slavin, like Tony D'Angelo, 
like uh, Brett Pesci and uh, Ethan Bear, Brady Shea, whoever you want to put into that uh, group of six, which they pretty consistent, uh, consistent as that defense has been. Um, and then just he's been I'm trying to think what's the word. He's been what we have been missing for what, what the Canes have been missing for the le- for the better part of. Since, since they Cam lost. Ward left. Yeah, exactly. Since Cam Ward left. I mean, yes, the trio of um of Reimer, Morazic, and to well, I guess Morazic, Nadelkovich, and to a lesser extent Reimer worked well. But it's good to have that one particular um that one particular a true number one and a pretty decent back of an Antiranta who is injured, but I'll get to that um in a little bit when we talk about trade deadline. Um, but overall, I think just having that solid guy there who has NHL experience, playoff experience is paying dividends to this team. Yeah. I mean, you, you said how consistent that, uh, that decor has been. It's, it's one of the best, uh, top six decors, um, in the NHL. And, uh, as you said, when we look at the trade deadline, um, the majority of at least the people I've heard, um, pay attention to the blues and that's a big need for St. Louis uh, is to sure up, uh, the final uh, left defenseman spot for them. Um, there's a bit of a hole there, um, but the majority of who's going to be on the market uh, looks like defenseman or whoever plays for the Arizona Coyotes, um, which of course they have Jacob Chikrin, who's uh, probably the biggest piece, regardless of position at this deadline. Um, Montreal, who's having a historically bad uh, fi- uh, following season after making a Stanley cup final, as in the worst start, uh, second or third worst start. I can't remember how bad it is. Bad. Bad enough that they're thinking about trading uh, a guy like Ben Sherratt. Uh So, when you look at candidates at the trade deadline and where the Hurricanes stand, I don't feel like there needs to be a big splash here to kind of separate themselves um, in a division that's this tight uh, because you don't want to make a move to shake things up too much to where you regress. Yeah, no, I don't think they really need to make from defense and the forwards, I don't think they need to make anything. I mean, you have consistency up and down that lineup. You can, it's kind of the team where you can put a uh, kind of mix and match players because they all have that uh, consistency or not. Yeah. They all have that chemistry and consistency where you can just kind of mix and match putting players together. And they've had to do that a few weeks ago or I guess last month in uh, December when they had, I think maybe 10 to maybe seven to 10 players out with COVID. So they had to mix and match and they still somehow put a winning record together during that stretch, which, um, which only proves that this team is gritty and knows how to, no pun intended for Philly's mascot, but um, they know how to uh, put the, they know how to put the pieces together. And Stormy is so much better than gritty. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, but yeah, I think it's just as far as candidates for the trade deadline, I think they'd have to look kind of look up for a backup goaltender because Antiranta was hurt, I think I'm trying to remember what game it was. He was hurt in some game recently, and they've um they've had uh, Alex Lyon and uh, I'm trying to remember some some person someone they signed from call it from 
the college ranks. I can't remember his name. It starts with the it's like Lafonte or sorry, I, I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name. Um, but and I think they're gonna have to if Ronta's out for a long term, the injury severity is not really known. But I think if he's gonna be out for a while, they're gonna have to look at the um at the backup because I don't think Rob Brendamore is gonna want to just rely heavily on um Frederick Anderson going down the stretch or two backup goaltenders with very little NHL experience. I think that's the mistake that St. Louis made, um, at least last year, um, both uh, in the bubble uh, the year after they won the cup and and last year as well in the shortened season was they relied too much on Jordan Bennington. Um, Although you had Jake Allen to fall back on a couple of years before that um, when Bennington came in um, to not have anybody behind him other than Billy Huso, who now is playing good. Um, Craig Berube just didn't trust Billy Huso down the stretch, and I think uh, Jordan Bennington got burnt out uh, for a lot of those situations. Um, so you don't want to fall into that same situation if you're Rod Brindamore uh, and the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, let's look at the rest of the NHL very quickly here. All-star rosters uh, were announced last night. Um, that'll be coming up in the next couple weeks. Uh, ABC and ESPN will have... Uh, full coverage of that All-Star weekend for the first time in forever. That's going to be great. It's going to be in Vegas. Uh, it's the first time in like three or four years I can say I don't hate uh, the All-Star sweaters. Uh, the ones in St. Louis even I thought were terrible. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. And, and I think this about the MLB and the NBA All-Star games too. Not It doesn't happen as much in the NBA as it used to. But... It's still pretty much a requirement um, in the in Major League Baseball and uh, in the NHL for every team to have a representative um, at the All-Star game. And there are guys like Nazem Kadri for Colorado that's having a career year. Um, he's not just beating people up now. He's actually, you know, producing points at will uh, instead of trying to take people's heads off like he's been known to do in the past. Um, same thing with Brad Marchand, although he's been a lead offensively his entire career. He didn't have the best start to the year, but uh, he's been a top five player in the league the past two, three weeks. Um, there's a lot of guys that are were snubbed, um, and Nathan McKinnon came out and said so uh, in defense of Nazem Kadri, uh, the uh, captain of the Central Division team, I might add, Nathan McKinnon, um, said it's not a participation game, it's an all-star game. And he's right. I've always thought that. I have never agreed with the every team should have a representative. Now, if you're on a terrible team, if you're, you know, Thomas Shabbat in Ottawa and you're having a heck of a year or, you know, Brady Kachuk or, you know, whoever that's on a terrible team, Thatcher Demko's playing out of his mind for Vancouver, but they don't have anybody else that's playing good. So if you have nobody that's playing at the same caliber of, of an awesome cadre, you shouldn't get to go over him. It's an all-star game. It's not a participation event for the entire league. No, it's it shouldn't be. Um, and, I mean, I think as a Hurricanes fan uh, from the – from 2000 and – what year do you want to call it? 2006-07 season to up until pretty much last two or three seasons – the Canes would only get one player in most of the time. And I don't know if that was, well, it was due to the fact that the team was just uh, awful. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to think of another so word. A couple but anomaly years, but yeah. Yeah. 
And the only player recently outside of when they were when they were terrible, the consistent player was mainly Justin Falk. You're welcome for him, by the way. Um, nice. and, um, and then it was usually before that, it was Eric Stahl, who he, I don't know what happened to him. He's fallen off the face of the earth for some reason. But, um, and all three so, Stahl brothers have, I don't know where any of them are right now. I know Eric is doing an AHL uh, practice tryout. Jordan is still Carolina's in Carolina. I think Mark is still with Detroit, and I have no idea where the youngest one is. I he, thought Mark retired, but I forgot. I also forgot there's a fourth one now we have to keep up with. So. Yeah, I don't know where Jared is. The, the Canes had three of the four at one point, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I don't think it should be a one player represents um, – each team it should be more of based on skill and it's kind of like the is the pro bowl uh one at from each team or is that um just fan votes pro bowl is just literally pretty much just fan votes and coaches and players vote on it okay. um look at the format of the all-star game it's been changed so many times the reason it is what it is right now is because it's not just a skill competition is skill competition the game itself is a skill competition it's a three-on-three -three tournament there's too much time and space out there. Nikita Kucherov coined a move in the All-Star game. So, I mean, you're, you're pulling out shootout moves in a game. So, it is a skill competition. Um, I'm sorry, Thomas Shabbat is not Brad Marchand in terms of skill. He's it's as not, simple man. as that. So, you need guys that can make spectacular saves, and you need guys that can score spectacular goals to get the viewership. And I think ESPN and ABC both are saying... We don't even know who Thomas Shabbat is because we haven't paid attention to Ottawa since 1999 when they entered the league. We haven't paid attention to him since they lost to Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference Final. And uh, Eric Carlson and uh, what's his name that fought over? Oh, I don't even know. That was a whole situation. i uh, got to wrap things up here. want to thank uh, Michael Davis, Will Higdon, uh, Skylar Callahan, and, of course, you, Christian Emery, and hello to whoever that was in the background as well. Um, I'm surprised... Uh, my cat didn't make an appearance uh, on the show today. But, uh, and Des, Desmond Johnson, our producer, thank you so much. Get well soon, buddy. Um, I got to hop out of here. Franchise Players is next. Down to Back Road Sports Radio.